You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. Hebrews 11, um, if you've not been reading ahead, if you've not been uh, sort of going ahead on your own, I hope you will again this week. Uh, there are all these different heroes of the faith that are in Hebrews 11. And we don't have time uh, to go through each single one of them. But uh, if you would read through it this week, you would see all these different people uh, and, and their life's accomplishments and their choices that they made. And, and it always is preceded by this phrase, by faith. Faith was the driving factor in what they were doing and who they were uh, for God. But today we're going to really just look at two. We're going to look at Abraham and Sarah. And then we're also going to look at the life of Moses as recorded here in Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11, 8 through 12, if you want to start with me there, we're talking this week about faith that grows and specifically faith that grows the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, that's quite the description, huh? Were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the, as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Our first point today is that faith that grows the kingdom is faith that is not dependent upon all the information. It's faith that is not dependent upon all uh, the information. When I say all the information, I mean all the information that maybe we have or maybe all the information that we don't yet have. Faith that grows the kingdom of God does not look at the circumstances around us or does not look at the unknown that is around us or before us and then refrain from having the faith in God that we need to have. We tend to, sometimes in our world, have a very no-risk or a very low-risk faith because we don't step out in obedience unless we know we have results coming ahead of us. We don't step out in obedience because God may be asking us or calling us to do something that we, in our minds, look at what he's asking to, us to do or calling us to be and say, well, there's no way I could fulfill that or there's no way that I could pull that off or that we could do that as a people. And what Abraham and Sarah teach us is that we're not to look at the circumstances that are in our lives, and we're also not to look at what the end result may or may not be, but we're to have great faith, a faith that grows the kingdom of God by understanding it is upon him that we have that faith, not the circumstances, not the results. I want to take a look at each of them separately here for just a moment. Abraham, his story is told from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 25 primarily. And so if you're unfamiliar with Abraham, I encourage you to read that this week. Read through those chapters. See how God worked in his life. See the covenant promises and things that God made with him and how Abraham stepped out in obedience in those issues. 
Here specifically in Hebrews 11:8, what we're told is this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Essentially, Hebrews 11:8 is the retelling of Genesis 12:1 which is when God comes to then, he was known as Abram, not Abraham yet, but comes to Abram and says, leave behind your family, leave behind your home, leave behind everything that's comfortable and familiar to you, and go. And I will lead the way. I will show you the way. In other words, God calls him to obedience, but doesn't say, here's the path or here's everything you're going to encounter. He just says, go, and I'll go before you and lead the way and show you where you're going. The author of Hebrews here does it a little differently. He says he was called and left not knowing where he was going. Faithful faithful obedience to God and his call in his life. Now, it would be easy for us to kind of say, well, yeah, of course, Abram said yes. This was God's people, you know, Israel and God's favor, and he'd chosen them and so on and so forth. This is all pre-Israel. This is all before there is a nation known as a group of people that God has poured his favor and love and chosen them in his, in his covenant relationship with them. So Abram says yes to God without any preconceived notion of who God is, without any preconceived his, uh, understanding of how God works, without any real history to fall back on to say, oh, I see where God's been faithful before. Okay, yeah, I'll step out now because I see what he's done in the past. That's an important piece of Abraham's story for us. Is that this is all pre the people of Israel. This is all pre-covenant. Matter of fact, the, the first covenant made with Abram doesn't even occur until Genesis 15. And so we understand that it's stepping out on faith without this preconceived notion, without this history of who God is. And this is what Abraham did. And he stepped out on faith not knowing where he was going. Imagine that scene. Leaving town. Hey, Abraham, where are you headed? I don't know. Where, where, why, are you, why are you uprooting your family and go? God told me to. You want to put yourself in that position today in 2022? Hey, why, why, why are you leaving Frankfurt to go to an unreached people group? Why are you leaving the comfort of the Bible Belt to go to a place that doesn't know uh, the gospel? Why are you leaving the comfort of your job to be called to another job where you have greater influence? Why are you, why are you, why are you, why are you? And if your answer would be back to those people because God told me to, they'd probably think you're a little loony. But yet, isn't that what God does? It's what he did with Abraham. It's what he does with us. He calls us and he equips us as we go. And it's faith-driven obedience. He went from comfort and the familiarity of his family and his surroundings and his hometown, and he went to live in a land unknown, living in tents. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, says it this way. Abraham went out, and Abraham camped out. And he did that by faith. Sarah, in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. The writer of Hebrews tells us that she considered God faithful and received the power to be able to have the promised child Isaac because of her faithful nature of God. But if you know the story of Sarah, you might be thinking to yourself, how can he paint her as a faithful person? Because the reality of it is, in Sarah's life, of what we know it from the book of Genesis, she was not very faithful. 
In Genesis 15 is that first covenant made with Abraham and Abram. And the covenant is that he would have, he and Sarah would have a child. And even from that child would be this uncountable piece, uh, number of descendants, number of people. And so that comes in Genesis 15 and Genesis 16 after some time had elapsed. We don't know how long the time had been. But after some time had elapsed in Genesis 16 verses 1 and 2, what we see is Sarah began to take matters into her own hands. It tells us in Genesis 16, as she says to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. I'm paraphrasing here, of course. But the Lord has kept me from having children. I have this Egyptian servant named Hagar. Go in and be with her, and that's the way I'll have a child. And Genesis 16, 2 says, and Abraham listened to Sarah. So you have two very important things going on here in Sarah's life. One, Sarah stops waiting. Sarah does not have the faith that he talks about here in Hebrews 11. Number two, Abraham listens to the voice of his wife instead of the voice of God. Now, no, I'm not going to springboard off of that to say, you always don't ever listen to your wife and don't ever, I'm not going to do that. That's not the point. The point here is not that it was Abraham and Sarah and they were husband and wife. The point is that Abraham began to listen to a voice that was not God's voice that had made a covenant with him, that had made a promise with him. And you and I have voices in our heads all the time. Voices from all kinds of angles, voices from all kinds of different perspectives and agendas and everything else. And now more than ever, it is so important for the people of God to tune out every voice but his. And to understand that what he is leading us to do and who he is leading us to be is above all the most important thing for the church of Jesus Christ. We tune out every voice but his. Sarah takes matters into her own hands. Even in Genesis 18, the Lord visits them again and again says, yes, you're going to have this child of promise. And, and Sarah is eavesdropping on the conversation between the Lord and Abram and she begins to laugh. How's this possible? And then the Lord confronts Abram about her laughing. And Sarah says, I wasn't laughing. You can't lie to God. He knows if you're laughing. And so how can the writer of Hebrews say here that she was this person that had this great faith, this ability to conceive? Well, I, when I thought about it this week and how to explain it, I thought about it being similar to an obituary. Because in an obituary, we say nice general statements about people, don't we? We might say something like, she was an avid gardener in her life, or, or he was a great mechanic, or, or they were so full of joy, right? And the reality is in those statements in, in things like obituaries, those are very general summary statements of that person's life. She was an avid gardener doesn't mean that everything she planted always came to fruit, or that he was, a, it was a, he was a mechanic, a good mechanic, doesn't mean that every nut and bolt he put together always worked. But as a very general statement, this is who those people were that, that overrode the entirety of their life. So when he talks about Sarah in this way, it's written as a general summary and a general statement of her life. That in a generality, she was faithful to the one who was faithful to her. She had a faith that stepped, caused her to step out and believe, but it took her some time to get there. She wasn't without her faults. She wasn't without her errors. But when the end of the days came for her, it could be said that she had great faith. And look at how it says it again there in Hebrews 11, 11. Since she considered, at the end of that verse, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
That understanding of that she considered is, a, is an understanding that she settled upon. Not settled for. Sometimes when we use that word or that terminology, we're talking about settling for something that's less than something that's greater. Here it's, a, it's an understanding that she settled upon, meaning that she eventually built her foundation upon having faith in him who was faithful. She considered that truth, she considered that word of God, and she settled upon it in her life. And more specifically for her and for Abraham, it had to do with the birth of their son Isaac, the son of promise. Paul talks about Abraham in in the entirety of Romans 4, but he says this specifically beginning in verse 18. Speaking of Abraham, he, in hope, he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham and Sarah both had a faith that eventually they settled on, eventually they considered, eventually they made the foundation of their life. And it was a faith that grew the kingdom of God. And it was a faith that did not depend upon the circumstances they were in. It did not depend on the information they had about themselves. And it did not depend upon what the end results may or may not have been. It depended upon one thing and one thing only, that he who had promised was faithful. And their faith made the kingdom great. Secondly, then, from the life of Moses, look at Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Second point then today is faith that grows the kingdom is faith that considers Jesus more important than life, and I would say more specifically than our earthly life. Moses here makes two choices according to the book of Hebrews. Number one, it's really a dual choice when number one, he refuses to be called the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh, and as the second part of that choice, choosing instead to be mistreated with his people than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The statement refusing to be called is an identifying statement. Moses, who had it all as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, who had all wealth, all honor, all fame, all position, all glory, who would never want for anything in his earthly life, chose instead not to, re- to identify himself in that sense, but to refuse that. And instead become identified with 
his people. The story is told in Acts 2 of how he, he comes and he sees uh, the, the Hebrew being mistreated and he goes and he kills the Egyptian who's doing that. That's the, that's the main point here that the writer of Hebrews is referring back to. It's what Stephen refers back to in Acts 7 when he tells the glorious history of Israel and includes Moses in that in verses 20 through 24 that in those moments that when, he, when Moses saw what was going on how his people were being mistreated he chose instead not to identify as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, but to identify as one who was being mistreated and took up for that person in that sense. And as a result of that, he was forced to flee. He was forced into exile, into the land of Midian. Uh, he did that at the same time that his people were in exile in Egypt. It's another way that he chose to be mistreated as his people were being mistreated rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I, and I want to tell you, next week, Lord willing, weather willing, we return again and we wrap up this section of Hebrews 11. We're going to talk a lot about this idea of exile. That all the way through the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, post-Jesus Christ, all the way through the scriptures, the people of God who achieved the most were the people of God who said, this is not my home. The people of God who said, we are exiles, we are strangers, we are aliens in this world. And we are looking to, as Abraham looked to, as Moses looked to, as all these great heroes of the faith looked to, we are looking to another home that is permanent and built by God himself. Moses could have turned his back on the Hebrew that he witnessed there in Exodus 2 getting beat. And he could have turned his back on the Hebrew people. He could have said, I have it comfortable here in Egypt I have everything I need. He could have even played the justification game. Well, if God didn't want me here, he wouldn't have put me here in the first place. That's an easy game to play, isn't it? But instead, he refused all of that and chose instead to identify with his people. And look at what it says specifically in making that choice. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin you might think it odd that the word pleasure here is associated with sin it's the same word that paul uses for example in first timothy 6 when he's talking about the rich in this present age not to be prideful not to set their hopes but to quote set their hopes on god who richly provides us with everything to enjoy the word enjoy there is the same word that is pleasures here in hebrews 11 and so it may seem odd to us because what's our sort of standard theological position, right? Sin is bad, sin is bad, sin is bad. But understand, sin never presents itself to us as bad. Sin presents itself to us as pleasurable. Sin does not present itself to you and me and go, now here I am, but I want you to know it's going to get really bad after it's good for a little while. You're going to lose your life, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose your work, you're going to lose your, your, your jobs, you're going to lose your self-esteem, you're going to lose your health. Like, sin never presents itself that way to us. It always presents itself to us as being this great thing. That's why when you talk to people who are undergoing addictions, they never say, man, the first time I tried, whatever it is they tried, it was horrible. What do they always say? It was great. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I felt great. 
not ever seeing the slavery, the bondage, the destruction, maybe even the death that would come as a result of that. And so Moses here chooses to not identify as one who had it all on this earth, but instead he chooses to identify with his people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin. Why? Because he understood that word, fleeting. He understood that that sin, that pleasure of sin, was temporary. What would have been his sin? Well, it would have been numerous things. He would have had power. He would have had prestige. He would have had glory. He would have had honor. You say, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's something wrong with those things when they're acquired in the wrong way. And as the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh, they would have been acquired in the wrong way. And those would have been fleeting pleasures of sin. So he chooses to do that. Secondly, then, as we begin to close, he makes this second choice. Look there again at Hebrews eleven twenty six. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What does the word reproach mean? It means uh, insult or to be belittled or to have things done to you that are unjust or offensive. And so it kind of reads here in the English like the reproach of Christ is that Christ was giving him the reproach. Christ was being the one who was insulting or belittling Moses. But the reality of it is it's written in such a way for us to understand that Moses in making this decision would have been insulted, would have been belittled, would have been uh, had things slanderous, slanderous things said against him, offensive things said against him for leaving where he was. Just like when Abraham left to go somewhere that he did not know where he was going. And Moses says that he considers those insults greater than the earthly treasures he would leave behind. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, he thought it better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the entire treasures of Egypt. He considered the reproach that he would suffer to follow the Christ greater than the treasures. And again, that word shows up, considered, mirrors the word from Hebrews 11, 11 with Sarah, that he settled, not settled for less, but settled himself on the reality that what he would go through in making this decision was greater than everything that he would leave behind. You might say, well, how did Moses know of Jesus? How did, how did Moses, and Jesus wasn't even born yet, understand that the terminology that's used here is the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a designation. It's a title. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would come. And Moses knew of him. Moses wrote of him. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us in John's gospel that very word. In John chapter 5, beginning verses 45 through 47. As Jesus is talking about uh, those who are not believing in him, he says this specifically of the Jews in that day. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You say, how did he know of the Messiah? How did he know of this, this child who would come? How did he know of this anointed one? I, I can't, I got to tell you, I don't know that I can draw you a straight line correlation through all the scriptures that says this is the moment Moses knew. But by faith, Moses knew. 
By faith, he knew that there was one who was coming who would be part of God's plan for redemption and saving the world. And by faith, Moses delivered a judgment in his own life that said, it is better to leave behind everything that I know and everything that I'm comfortable in and everything that I treasure for the insult of following Jesus. Now here's where the big difference is between you and me and Moses. He made those choices. Abraham made those choices. Enoch made those choices. All these great heroes of the faith made those choices before the Messiah had come. We now live in an age after he has come. We now live in an age when he has come and has been born and has lived and has died and has resurrected and has gone back to the Father. So now that we live in that age where we have seen who he is and where we have seen what he has done and where we have seen what he has promised, how can we not live in greater faith even than these individuals in Hebrews 11? I think sometimes we take people like these people in Hebrews 11 and we just talk and and hold them on such a high regard and pedestal that we could never have that kind of faith. But understand, their faith came pre-Jesus. Our faith now comes post-Jesus. Our faith now comes post-seeing who he is and what he's done and what he will do. And given that, how can we not have greater faith? In all of these things, what it says of Moses at the end of verse 26 is this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I spoke two weeks ago about the rewards that we already have in Christ, the grace, the access, the things that we already have. But understand this, that there is still yet a great reward. And that great reward is eternity with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That great reward is the coming of the day when not anybody else on earth but Christ will set all things right. When Christ will set up his kingdom fully and forever. When Christ will reign as king over all. When Christ will come and bring back the fullness of God's kingdom that has been inaugurated in his initial coming as a child. Friends, do we look forward to that reward? I don't don't mean do we just kind of casually go, boy, I can't wait to go to heaven. I mean, do we look so forward to it that if given the position of Abraham or Sarah or Moses or any of these great heroes of the faith, given the position of any of them that God comes to us and asks us to do something in obedience, asks us to step out on faith, that we would go, oh, but if I do this, I'm going to be made fun of. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose family. I'm going to lose my lifestyle. I'm going to lose all these things. Do we really consider the reward so great that we would be as Moses and Abraham and Sarah and all these other heroes of the faith to say, I will leave it all behind for the reward that is yet to come. I will tell you that when a church, and I don't necessarily just mean a local church, but when a church, the body of believers, begins to embrace that and live that, then we will see this world turned on its head. When God's people consider the reproach of Christ greater than any earthly treasure that we might have. And when God's people step in on faith and obedience greater than the comfort and the familiarity of our home and our homeland and our 
king, our kinship and everything else. When we step out on faith as Sarah did and say, oh, there's no way God can do this work in my life. Does he not know how old I am? Does he not know I can't talk in front of people? Does he not know I'm not familiar enough with the scriptures? Does he not know? Does he not know? Does he not know? He knows. And I would submit to you that's exactly why he's choosing you. That he might be made great through your faithful obedience. Faith that grows the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.